0: ala wa ala wa wa sallam. Peace and love. I'm Brother Ali. This is the Travelers Podcast, and this week's episode is very special. <laughs> I, say that, I say that every single week, and I really believe it. You know what I mean? Every time I say that phrase, I believe it. And um, it's always our aim and our intention that I'm not going to spend all of the time that it takes me to do this episode and then the producer, BK1, to edit everything and get everything together and treat the sound and process everything and get it get it all ready to be presented to you. And we're not going to ask for your time. There are so many things that are vying for our attention and our time and our thoughts. So this is your time and this is my time and our time, but this is also our time together. And so our intention is to always have it be something thoughtful, something that's special. Uh, I heard it said one time that one shouldn't speak unless they're going to improve upon silence. And that's a major, major assignment and a major task, you know. But this week on the Traveler's Podcast, we have one of the most creative, one of the most prolific, one of the truly greatest One of the most soulful, one of the most musical, one of the most vulnerable and thought-provoking MCs to ever enter into the hip-hop space and culture. He's also a producer. Uh, He is also a a ghostwriter. When I say that Feral Manch is one of the greatest of all times, it's not just me saying that. On Jay-Z's first album, Reasonable Doubt, which he regards to be his lyrical masterpiece, if you talk to Jay-Z about all the amazing music that he's made, what he will say is that my greatest project and my greatest lyrical moments were actually in Reasonable Doubt because he wasn't hip to making radio records yet. He was still spitting the way that he wanted to spit. When he says, later, I dumbed down from my audience and doubled my dollars, if skills sold, truth be told, I'd probably be Talib, Kwali, et cetera. So he, Jay-Z comes from this school of really profoundly creative and intricate lyricism. And what Jay-Z said on Reasonable Doubt is crime organized like the pharaoh. He's referring to organized confusion and pharaoh much. Eminem and all of the amazing lyricism that he's displayed over the decades that he's been doing it and just give, giving the culture so much— Uh, He has a song called Rap God, where he says, you know, that I'm I'm doing all of this and I've done all these things. I've sold all these records. But in terms of my own approach to this, I'm still on my Feral Munch underground grind. Like I'm still trying to produce lyrics that are of the caliber of Feral Munch. So you have, you know, arguably two of the greatest or at least the most renowned and, and respected and successful MCs that are known for the craft of MCing. You know, that there are people that make huge hit records, but when it comes to, like, what does is, what is the mainstream know, and even what does the hip-hop culture and music industry know about the lyricists, the great lyricists that are doing it, that are operating at that massive global scale, those are probably the two first names that would come up for people are Jay-Z and Eminem. Both of them have put into their masterpieces that Feral Munch is somebody that they're uh, that they want to be in conversation with in the art form. So the great Pharaoh Manch is here. You're going to hear us talk about the actual craft of composing his lyrics. And this is a show where I usually want to connect with people. These are all my friends or people that I've been like one person away for the, uh, for a long time, but people that I connect with personally and there are so many different these are most of these people that are on this program people that get interviewed a lot and so often they're asked about how did you make it or like tell me about your secrets for success or tell me the crazy stories of your career or tell me and you know those are things that i like to hear too but for me what's most important is what did your heart experience uh where does this come from inside of you you know so we talked to pharaoh though about the process, his process of writing rhymes. And it's something that I usually don't do, but with him, I thought it was really important to do that because it's not just a cerebral, like, brain practice for him. It is. He's literally hitting on all cylinders, possibly more than any other MC, in terms of being musical and soulful and cerebral and witty and uh, intricate and intelligent, but it's also very, very heartfelt. And I know that when he's writing these songs, his heart is going on a journey. I also partially know this because he's my friend. And it's like the fact that I'm close friends with Pharrell. Monch, and it's not just that I call him for advice, but he calls me when he's caught up on stuff as well. And sometimes you just need an artist. You know, you just need to like talk to somebody else that you know cares about this the way you care about. And it's feeling the heartbreaks and th- that you're feeling. The other part of this conversation, I wanted to really dive into his journey as an artist because while people like Eminem and Jay-Z will tell the world this is this is the guy that inspires me, he's had a really, I call it the, the tragic uh kind of tension between art and being in the music industry, coming up with a hit record. And what you'll hear in this conversation is that Pharaoh Monch, after all these years of being so lauded by all these very successful artists, made his own hit record. He made Simon Says, get that f- up. Yeah, I said it again. Pharaoh f- Monch Munch ain't a damn thing. Change. Bum, 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 bum. And... Whatever music whatever music business stuff happens, he gets into the story here, but the samples didn't get cleared. So not only did he make a hit record, but he produced it himself. He created it entirely himself after being given the sample by one of the homies. He made this entire thing himself. And then the record blew up, and it went all over the world, and it continues to be all over the world. Um, but because the samples didn't get cleared, not only did that song get stricken, off the shelves, but the whole album got pulled off of shelves. And it, so what should have been his most shining uh, moment in terms of the music industry was actually a heartbreak for him. And then he had them over and over and over and over and over again. And with all of the things he's endured, he's continued to just gift this culture and this art form uh, and really the world with some of the most profound music of all time. So I'm going to shut up and jump into this episode. We're sponsored, as always, by the Zakat Foundation. We're sponsored by Inner City Muslim Action Network, and we're brought to you also by BetterHelp. We'll talk to you all about all those in a minute. But thank you so much for being here, and enjoy this episode of the Travelers Podcast. There's always this conversation about um about greats, like who's the great, and we talk top five and who's the goat and what have you. And I think that you could really make a case for a number of artists. But if you look at it from an artist perspective, I don't think anybody has more claim, and I think I could prove it, uh, nobody has more of a claim to being the greatest that ever worked in this art form than you, in my opinion. And I know that you don't see yourself that way. But the, the, the reason that I say that is because if you think about like what an MC is, is the lyricism, the vocal performance, you know, whether or not they produce, their pro, their on stage performance. And when you talk about lyricism, usually people are either intricate or they're simplistic. They're like either like very intricate and tight and mathematical or they're very free.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you're both. Usually people are either conceptual. So like either they're not talking about anything, but if they're talking about Mm -hmm. something, either they're conceptual or they're personal and vulnerable. And you're both. Mm -hmm. We talk about vocal performances. Usually people are either very powerful or they're very soulful. And you're both. Most people are either rhythmic or musical. And you're both. Either they're very strong in the fundamentals or they're very creative and free. And you're both. Mm -hmm. Along with the fact that you you know, an amazing producer and an amazing live performer. So, I mean, I, th- I think looking at it now, the only thing that I could say that certain other people might have over you is this idea of affecting broader culture, like crossing over into the broader culture. But so much of being an artist is the tragic tension between creating art and then the business and fame element of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for my money, it, in terms of like the great ones that I look up to, you know, like the 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 music and art in general is such a spiritual thing. It's very human. It's very, it's like cultural and spiritual. It's like the most human that we can be. And it's also the most divine that we can be. But the business is everything but that. It's the complete opposite of that. Like it's born in slavery, the, you know, the entertainment industry and all that is born and say, so that tension uh, between those is something that as an artist, like I relate to what I see in you as somebody for me to look up to more than I relate to somebody who feels like they're always winning in that space,
2: yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a lot uh thank you, man. I appreciate it uh, got emotional, I mean we speak uh uh quite often sometimes, and uh we have these type of discussions. I think you know early on, my appreciation for culture. And in, in hip hop culture is, was my take on trying to learn from different elements that I was affected by. And it wasn't just the MC, like it, it was like, you know, how does this graffiti tell a story of these characters or from black books to fashion, to B-boy, to dancing. And, you know, before, you know, I became an MC, I would watch somebody in a circle breaking or popping or whatever and come up with different moves each week to add on, not to just battle, but to elevate the culture. So when I decided to become an MC, it was like, you need to implement so many things to affect other people like that. You know, how is it that this dude just did a move and it inspired you to go home and create? How's he communicating that to you? So I, I realized I wanted all these elements, as well as during that time, I'm a huge fan of Rakim and Kane and G-Rap and Chuck and Cool Keef and LL and KRS-One. <clears throat> and I'm like, oh man, like on a Marvel level, if I could absorb these powers, you know, what would I implement? I loved KRS's crisp diction mm-hmm. and the way he emphasized his words made them cut through. You know, like nobody else that was doing it. Obviously, the content and he's he's just in my top five forever. But what element, if you could take from him that you would use, um, and and just like you said, the goosebump element. You know, Chuck was the first one that I was like. Jeez, my, my hair is standing up on my arm mm-hmm. on this song and I, I just got to chill, like examine why that happened to you. And when I examined it, I was like, it has to be a combination of vocal tone content plus truth. You know, why does uh Martin Luther King's speech do this to you every time? Mm-hmm. What's happening? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm relating to what he's saying, is impacting me. He's saying it in such a way with a vibration that's like, ooh, 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 ooh. So I was like, if you wanna be an MC, if you wanna elevate, you have to move people in that way. Possibly listen back to it yourself and be like, I felt like I felt that. And um I'm constantly like, you know, do you believe yourself which is the last thing like i listen back and most times i'm like ah i don't know if i believe <laughs> you know i don't know if you're cutting through like that you know you could do that again you could voice that again and you make yourself believe it and you're not going to um you know get everybody but there'll be some you can influence some people out there with you know brag bars or social bars or you know, introspective bars, just to make sure it's cutting through to you like man, I I I felt that. So throughout the years, as an artist, you always leave a piece of work and and my my production partner, the great Lee Stone, always says, You should like listen to older songs sometimes and be able years later to be like, ah, you know. I might've would've did this differently or because you're always trying to create better art. And I think that's how you grow. Like coming from culture that, that used to snap on each other too. Mm -hmm. I was looking to like protect myself from that. And then once it's down, reverse it and kind of pick it apart and be your worst critic. And, and, and like, what can you pick apart about these things that are not quite there in your so-called, elements of, you know, is that that the choice Rockin would have made or G-Rap would have made or Chris would have made. And once you, you know, once I got past those things, I think I was able to find my own voice. But those are definitely the cats that are responsible guiding me to find my own voice, you know?
0: The first time I met you was at the wake up show. And Mm. we were both playing Rock the Bells. And I went to the wake up show, and King Tech was like, "You know, you got a freestyle." And I was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "I usually have to tell people it's got to be off the head, but I don't have to tell you that." And I was like, "No, sir." So I got the headphones, and mm-hmm. I'm I cl- I'm just closing my eyes, doing my thing, and I'm I can't i am trying to assess it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm killing it or not. And I opened my eyes, and you were sitting there, <laughs> and I was like, I thought my I, my head just got hot, and I was like, Oh man. Oh, oh. <laughs> Because one of the things that i had been told is like people told me like there's something in your voice that sounds like mine that sounds like Ice Cube and there's something that reminds us of Pharaoh, mm-hmm. and so I was like, and you were you've always been like so kind to me and and um, I was like man, people tell me sometimes that I sound like you. Do you think I sound like you? And you were like, no, we both love Chuck D and Farrakhan. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, it's just a preacher thing. You know what I mean? So when you mentioned yeah. Chuck and then Martin Luther King, it's like,
2: mm-hmm. there's
0: that. But the the thing, though, that is that you have a level of musicality that's, you know, because I'm saying like, it's not that Chuck isn't musical. And I mean, Farrakhan mm-hmm. it was a musician. There is a, there is a musicality to what they do. But I also have heard you say that John Coltrane is like one of your main influences too, was how how do you see that? How do you see the the John Coltrane influence?
2: You know, I had a, a family full of music lovers, and he was uh, one of my oldest brother's favorites as well as my father's. So just just listening, but then you know I equate that to the the asthma, and then you know deciding to become an MC, and then having this this hurdle you know, this curse of this breathing issue and um, listening to Coltrane do these long sustains and runs. And I would just be like, how in the hell is his lungs able to do that? And I want to be that. Like, I want to be able to sustain a run, go past the usual measures and and perform like that. And I, I, I think Coltrane was the influence in that. As well as how is he saying all of this to me without saying anything? So, again, you know, it made me uh, early on pay attention to tone. Mm -hmm. Like, how could you say the same words as someone else, but um, hold it long enough or express, you know, like an actor, express the pain or tension um, using your voice as an instrument um, with limited words or a little bit of words in a bar. And, you know, that's what uh, Coltrane like gave to me. Like, what is this song about? Uh, What is this emotion about? What is it really about? What is he, why did he write this and what is he thinking at these points and how is he getting this emotion across to me? And that ties into, you know, me saying, "If, if I'm gonna be an MC, I have to defeat this lung disease. Mm -hmm. at the same time, and and that kind of pushed me to think about asthma in a sense of, I'm gonna show you, like, I'm not gonna let you. In fact, I'm gonna be the windiest, you know, I'm gonna try to be the windiest MC, with the most words, you know what I mean? Like, just to show you that you can't beat me. So uh, it was the asthma that kind of pushed me in that direction. Mm -hmm. I think if I didn't have asthma, I would have been uh, way more simplistic. Yeah,
0: That's crazy. My first album's called Shadows on the Sun. And being an albino, it's like the sun is always trying to kill me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like the idea Mm -hmm. that like I'm going to shine so bright that I put shadows on the sun. I've heard you talk about this before. And like I I try to think about like what is that particular thing that you developed? And you're talking about Coltrane. Like Coltrane is so known for being this like really expressive like out free creative mm-hmm. player that could like squawk and play two notes at once and like made all these sounds with the horn that people had never made before but they basically say that every minute when he's not recording or on stage he's doing scales he's mm-hmm. doing he's like running scales he's doing very very basic like his found his his fundamentals and foundational stuff is like he's always going back to that so that when it's time to go out he can and that's something that I really see in you. But I, I wonder, like, can you describe, like, what is that? What is that particular technique? To me, it feels like there's like a reservoir of air, and then you find a tone that you can operate in that feels like it's like the, it, it requires the least amount of output. Like it's 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 a, it seems like a constant stream of air. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a shelf. It's almost like the voice sits on a shelf. And then mm-hmm. it can roll, it can, it can just move roll forward mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than having a bunch of uh starts and stops, rather than being mm-hmm. very uh percussive. So rather than right. like the way that like a twister would do it or the mm-hmm. way that certain others would do it, it's like a you know what I'm saying, pistol no motherfucking mic house loan up the we rocking the brand, like it, you know what I'm saying? Like it mm-hmm. seems like there's mm-hmm. less. How do you describe that or like what kind of insight can you give for like what that the 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 technology of how that's happening?
2: It's it's so interesting, man, and, and lyricism is is so expansive on so many levels, and 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 still not given its proper due of, of how expansive it is. I, I think at the time of recording and not having a lot of budgets again, and becoming an MC and recording to cassette tape, with your DJ, you know, uh, extending the break, you know, and then, you know, can't mess up. And then I got to give that same microphone to Prince Poe. And sometimes we're both on the same mic, you know, that ever kind of forced me into control, sustain, and also, you know, you can't mess up, you know what I mean. So it's so many different elements that brought out those original flows and styles, and that was taken when we got a deal into the studio. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd be sitting there, you know, out in the booth, and it's like Prince and OC and all these people in the in the room, mm-hmm. and I'm doing my part, and like, you know, like the conversation is being had about Jay Z now. It's like if you didn't do it in one take these complicated things. It was just like, you could hear people like in the, in the, in the room, like you suck. (laughs) What are you doing? Oh my God. Prince smashed you coming out of the booth. You don't even deserve to be on the song. And it's like, you know, you was, it was a different standard of, of, of how we recorded, you know, to now, um, moving forward. Uh, I want to, get back into that as well as you know i I love breath now sometimes i'm sitting there with an engineer and you're mixing and you're you're here <sighs> and then i'm like if that was on beat and somehow funky let's leave it you know what mm-hmm. i mean like mm-hmm. and then sometimes you want things clean it's like we the technology is you know different but like i like errors. I like words being wrong. Like I, I said that wrong. That's not even what. This is not even a word, bro. Because I was freestyling it and made it up. And you know, I'm sometimes I'm like, like let's let's leave it. Like mm. it's just funky. Like you know, Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson, look over your shoulders, plural. Like mm. leave it, man, and say you ne- Like let's not record that again. And so all of those elements, I'm looking back to to see what feels good. You know what I mean, and and when I would hit those constants, like you said back then, it would just be like liquid. And I remember being like, "Oh, it's so beautiful!" It's more sax, yes, like you said. It's more sax than it is MC. You know what I mean. So that that was an element, like.
0: When was the first time that you noticed yeah. that like you were doing that? Like, do you remember, was there like a moment where it's like,
2: yo? Probably uh, during the Extinction Agenda era, there was some elements that I listen back to now. And it's like you said, um, how do you explain this to somebody that's not in the lyricism? It's not so much the ball, of the rhyme, or the line or the punchline sometimes it's like where it started to wear it in the tone and what that sounded like and the expression mm-hmm. that has me like Whoa!
1: oh my
2: god that was incredible like who is this guy like i i still say that to this day like and that's what art is about like who who painted that like i'm different now like environment is different now. My breathing is different now. Like, Mm -hmm. how can I even, you know, that's the beauty of of those things. Like, it did paint a picture. And so it is a, it's a blessing to look back at that stuff and be like, man, I just, that's like one of one, not me, but, you know, that piece right there. You know what I mean?
0: Do you write your joints on paper?
2: Um... Some lately and a a lot of things over the last 10 years, it's kind of like a combination of freestyle, which everybody does. Like I got into more listening to the music and just letting God speak rather than sitting down to the paper. Mm -hmm. Um, Originally, I remember being in a session with Dr. Dre and I was writing, you know, and I would be like, you know, on the top of the paper, I would be like, dilapidate, cap- capitate, extrapolate. a he, he walked by and he was like, oh shit, you know, DOC writes like that. He just puts the words there no, so and I'm he, you know, he figures it out, right? Yeah. I was like, what? Just yeah.
0: the rhyme words and then we'll figure uh-huh. it
2: out. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then of late, I don't do any of that because I wanted to get, you know, like just say PTSD. I wanted to get just emotion like tell a story don't worry about um gymnastics so much moving forward speaking of paper i want to go back to the paper and the book on some of the songs just to get uh some of that feel mm-hmm. back into the music cuz right now it's just i come up with something like i write a fragment of it down in the phone And then I try to learn like four or eight bars and go from there freestyle. Like, what are what are you saying? Like, you know, don't just sit there or whatever. Or if it deserves um, you know, research, you know, I'm I'm researching the actual content and the actual what are you saying? And that's that's research what you're actually talking about right here. Now stop then. So when I say freestyle I don't mean like going to booth And just go off the top of my head on the song. I mean, like, I'm letting the words come out of here first, and then I rearrange them. Mm -hmm. And then that's one step. And then I just do a ton of editing, like relentless editing, like a film. Like, you don't need this scene. You could do this over. You don't need this. You talking about like specific, like
0: certain, like you'll do that with like a certain phrase within a verse.
2: Phrase within a verse um you know just just everything like and then when i i think it's right i'll lay it and i'll take it home and you know listen to it like and critique it like i critique everything else and most times i'm like it's cool you all all right you ain't you're okay you need to do it over again Cause I don't, I don't have those people in the studio with me anymore, so I need to be my own. So now you gotta be the like, you're garbage, yeah.
0: get out the boat. <laughs>
2: yeah. And most yeah. times, I'm like, this is garbage. When I'm, when I get to the point where I'm like,
1: woo, I'm the greatest of all time! Oh my god!
2: Like those are, are such enjoyable moments when you could do that to yourself. Yeah.
0: And I mean, you're known for that, like other greats know that about you. Like me and Brendan were just talking about the fact BK1 had a has a album a producer album that he made that Tariq is on that you were supposed to be on. And BK said the minute I stopped trying to chase Pharaoh to get on this record is when I'm in the I'm in the studio with Tariq and Tariq is playing the new roots record and he's like this is a space that's supposed to be a Pharaoh verse. We'll see, probably not. <laughs> because everybody knows about you that you that you're very hard on yourself and that you don't let something go out into the world until you get that feeling.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it could be, I'm, I'm, I'm open to the flow, the pondering, the lock into pocket, you know, things don't have to be a hundred percent like they used to be like, I'll let things go, but I, I need time because I'm like, I'm my own guy. That's like, yo, that's bullshit, man. You, I don't know about those last eight bars being like, come on, son, you're lazy right now. You know, I need to do that to myself.
0: So when you write, um, like when you write your lyrics, do you have any way of annotating either the the rhythmic part? Because like sometimes there'll be very few bars in a joint. You know, mm-hmm. you cannot oppose, God has chose me to battle against, mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. like, that's not a lot of words, but the way mm-hmm. that they're swinging and the way that they're spaced, mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. you have a way to annotate either, like, write that into a page, either that or um, the melody of it?
2: It's, it's, it's melody, it's, it's where the stretching of the word ends in the bar, then it's listening back to it and deciding, um, does that sound conversational? Or does it just sound like you have no idea where the fucking swing is and you've lost and you sound like an idiot? How do you think that's gonna translate to people if you're not in pocket? And then sometimes, you know, back in the day, you're intentionally off. Sometimes you're intentionally in. And, you know, I you know, jazz drummers is or jazz timing, sometimes it's like what feels good within these bars and all these people have their own funk and the element and this thing that's locked into a, into a grid, a mental grid or a field grid. But the bass player is like, I'm with y'all. We're speaking. Everybody has an individual place to play. So I keep that in mind. That's why it's a little more difficult for me sometimes to critique it because I take it back and I'm like, when i laid it it's it's a verse that's coming out on um, on a new record that when i did it i was like i want to sound conversational in the booth and then when i you know after a couple of days home I'm like does this shit sound like you don't understand what a pocket is you know what i mean mm. so i it's intentional depending on the song if, if i'm expressing you know certain things um you will now consider me the apocalyptic one. After this rhyme, henceforth, there's none. I specifically was like, I want to come on to this song like I'm descending from the clouds and be that big. And the focus should be shouldn't be in the specifics. It should be in how this felt coming across and that I intentionally was like, you know, fuck a grid, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is what I'm trying to express and do you feel it, man? hit it a couple of times when it's like, that feels right, you know what I mean, like... No.
0: And that, that's such a visual, that's such a visual delivery, like I'm talking about, mm. like, I'm sitting here thinking, like asking you, like, is, mm. is there a way that you annotate things, like the rhythm or the notes, but that's something that's beyond rhythm and beyond notes, and now you're talking about, like, you're, you're talking about descending from heaven, so it's like saying words in a way that elicits a visual picture inside of a person. You know what I'm saying? So right. like you you talking about like a like a third dimension of rhyming? That's like it's the words that are being said. It's the timing. It's the, the all of this stuff. But then there's something that bends all of that, so it actually creates mm. like a like a visual picture in an audio mm. art form.
2: Mm-hmm. And what's what's interesting about that too is like. It is vibration, it is math, it is waveform, it is, you know, you can use all these things. Uh and 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 just like spirituality is like in in the moment I'm realizing if, if I can reach someone with this vibration, they'll get it. Just like the word, just like the gospel, like it's there, but you might not be ready to receive that information. One person here is you will now consider me the apocalyptic one after this rhyme, you know, as it receives it, it's like, oh, this, this dude, he's speaking to me right now. Mm -hmm. And then the next person is like, what's happening, bro. You're not paying attention to the, (laughs) you're never paying attention to the, I (laughs) realized that too. And it's, you know, being comfortable enough as an MC after a point where it's just like, bro, this is where I am. And I, I'm confident in this space as well that I hope reads true at this point. I'm hoping reads true at this point.
0: I was so like honored that you're on my record man and mm-hmm. I've hung with a lot of great people. I feel like I mm-hmm. hung with Chuck, I feel like I hung with Scarface, I feel like I hung with Freeway and Wale and Gene Grey and like I've had a lot of bad people on record, man. Mm-hmm. But you and Fonte are the two that I'm like, yeah, they won. Like they, <laughs> like it's just
2: that's it. Well, well, uh, I mean, there's there's context to that too because, like you said, the way y'all did that record, it was like, let's let's go in and let's not overthink this. Let's get these emotions out and these feelings out, and get it done. Like we promise, let's promise ourselves to do that because, as perfectionists, you know you could get tied up into I could do this again, I could do this again, I could do this again. But that's why the that album it feels good. Mm-hmm. It's subjective too, like what feels better. You know, I've, I've relinquished all of that because I feel like everybody I've had featured on my stuff kicked my ass, but like Fonte said, like that's the reason you're asking them to beat. Like you want the thing to kind of, go up and tell people, you know, at the end of the day, it shows people, I made this, I made this choice for a reason. You see them smart enough to get who I got. And then the end, the fan benefits. So technically, you know, that that is what is supposed to happen, you know, or it's supposed to match. Or if you choose that person to go first, I always ask, you know, am i doing because if 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 you know i think you're going to lead the record then my job is to lure the listeners ears in for the for the beginning you know get on base but do whatever it takes to get you to listen make the song attractive and then whoever's last has to take it home
1: mm-hmm. i
2: think fans listen to the last guy always like they're taking it home, but I don't I don't listen like that. It's like, you know, everybody's playing a, a role in this. You know, sometimes verses affect you you more when you hear features and collaborations, but yeah, like I'm just here to um do my job. I was telling the same thing with Busta. We did a song with Crisis and we were on the phone. And I was like whatever y'all need, you know. It's it's a role that has to be played, and Buster was like, "Man, fuck you! I'm not letting you kick my ass."
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, Buster's Buster's like, gotta be the winner, man. Yeah, 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 crazy. Travelers podcast has been sponsored from day one by the Zakat Foundation, Z-A-K-A-T, is how Muslims give back. It's an obligation for every Muslim that makes more money than they and their dependents need to live. So if a, if a Muslim has more money than they need to live for a year, that's kind of the marking point for zakat specifically. Like if I have just the basics, not like how many vacations can I go on, how much new jewelry can I buy, but if I'm sitting on enough money to just house, clothes, and feed me and my dependents for one year, then everything over and above that, uh, a portion of it is just due to people who don't have that. And there are so many ways to do it. Zakat Foundation, you know, there's so many global charities that do really good work around the world, but a lot of them are really based on corporate practices. They're based on these kind of like huge NGO type of frameworks. And one of the things that I love so much about Zakat Foundation is that they're looking to get out of that mode and they look to, to think outside the box. So often when people go in these huge kind of like super capitalist kind of corporate NGO, uh, you know, humanitarian groups go in, they go into other parts of the world with very amazing intentions, but a lot of times they don't know what's going on and they end up making a mess. They throw a bunch of money at stuff, they want to take pictures, they want to raise more money with these pictures they're taking, and they end up actually making things worse. So Zakat Foundation partners with people on the ground. It's a Muslim-led organization, but they don't only help Muslims. They sometimes have helped people who have oppressed Muslims, but it's like these are human beings that are experiencing need, and so we're here. This is part of our, of our mission. Um, also, they're very creative. You know, Zakat Foundation over and over and over consistently thinks outside the box to do things in ways that are really dope, and so they've been rocking with the Travelers podcast from the very beginning, and only a small percentage of the guests on this show have been Muslim. Uh, but they understand the need for culture and how important it is to bring together people of good intention and of goodwill, people uniting and bonding based on our common humanity. So they've supported this show from the very beginning. We're very honored to be rocking with them. Head to Zakat US on social media, follow all the stuff they're doing. Go to their website, zakatfoundation.org, Z-A-K-A-T, and find a way that you can kick something in. Five dollars, give somebody a hot meal, $50 a month sponsors an orphan and all every single penny of that $50 goes directly to the orphan like none of it goes to paying people salaries or none of that is going to the travelers podcast for example. So check them out and know that you're supporting a, an organization that actually partners with people that goes in based on people's shared humanity that's honored to serve that doesn't have this top down approach. Um, that thinks outside the box, and somebody that you can trust. Uh, Very grateful to be partnered with Zakat Foundation. This episode of the Travelers Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and we get a commission every time you use our link to sign up with them. BetterHelp is an online therapy platform, and if you listen to this show, you know that we're major proponents of mental health and therapy on this program. And I just believe that everybody deserves to have access to it. It's not even a thing of like, you need to be in therapy because you got to get your stuff together and I, you're a toxic person and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that the human vessel needs care the same way that our bodies need care, the same way that our car needs care, the same way our computers and our phones need care. There's a genius bar for a reason. Therapy is, the, is one of the genius bars for the psyche. And what's so important about it is that We live our lives and we build these like systems, these protective kind of force fields that we feel like we need and a lot of times we do need them in the moment to make it through some trauma we're experiencing or to push through some difficult time in life or maybe there are times where we don't have the opportunity to stop and to reflect and to process and to to think about what's going on. Sometimes you know, we have all different types of challenges. There's all different levels of challenges. The fact that my trauma might not be as bad as somebody else's doesn't mean that it doesn't deserve to be looked at and to be looked after and cared for. All of us deserve access to therapy. That's what I believe. And I, for example, live in Istanbul, Turkey. So the fact that my wife is a therapist and knows a bunch of therapists doesn't really help me because they're licensed in their particular organization or their practice to treat people that are in their state. And I'm not, I'm, I'm in Uskudar, Istanbul, Turkey on the Asian continent, halfway around the world. And there's not a lot of English speaking therapists here for me, so I'm one of the many people that was having really serious barriers to mental health uh, therapy. And so I heard about BetterHelp on a podcast I went and I checked it out. It starts with this. You go to betterhelp.com slash travelers. That lets them know that we recommended them to you and that we made that connection. They give you a discount, and then they also give us something as well for having made this connection and getting the word out about their service. And you start with a questionnaire. They ask you things about your life. What is it that's bringing you to therapy? What is it that you think you might want to work on? And you can start with anything from you know, uh, chemical dependency, substance abuse, uh, trauma, anger issues, depression, anxiety. I mean, like pick your pick pick what's the particular thing that you're experiencing today, because most of us have experienced some cocktail of all of this stuff throughout our lives. But you let them know. And then also if there's certain uh, preferences you might have about who you might want to talk to as a therapist. If you want to talk to a man, if you want to talk to a woman, if you want to talk to people that uh, you know, a therapist of color, they have all these different, it's a big network of people. And so if you head to betterhelp.com slash travelers, get signed up. The other thing is that you start communicating with your therapist right away. You choose if you want to turn the camera on and see them, you know, uh, like a Skype call, like a FaceTime call. You can do that like a Zoom type of thing. It's all on their platform. It's completely confidential. Uh, or you could just talk on the phone. That's what I usually do. You know, I'm partially blind, so I don't like having to like look in at in the, in the screen. I like to just be able to talk. Uh, you can also text and send voice notes to your therapist, and you can start talking to them right away. The other thing is that if you start talking to somebody and you're like, I don't really feel comfortable. I just don't feel like I can open up and be myself. I just don't, I just don't feel like this is a, a good fit. No questions asked. There's a button right there, change therapist and you start looking through different therapists, you see a photo, what their background is, what their specialties are, what their philosophy is, what their approach is. You get a sense of this person's vibe. I started doing therapy through BetterHelp and immediately uh, this first conversation, I just started to have a different way of thinking about the stories that I had told myself all my life about who I am and how I got this way. And so the some of the patterns that I've that I've experienced in relationships and just different situations I've had in my life, my therapist has been incredibly helpful to me, and so I'm very grateful. And that's why I'm happy to share it. So go to BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R Help, H-E-L-P. dot com slash travelers. Sign up, start your therapy journey, and let them know that we sent you. So the so you have these joints that like, like I said that you're you're literally rhyming from I mean you famously have the joint where you're rhyming from the perspective of a bullet, which is an inanimate object. You know what I mean? That ha- plays such a ma- a major role in all of our lives. Like we, you know, especially those of us that come from situations where we've lost friends, like our friends have been mm-hmm. shot and killed. You have a joint where you rhyme from the perspective of a man who got fired. Times Square is one of my favorite joints of yours, and mm. PTSD is my favorite of a complete body of work from from you. That's my favorite one.
2: That's crazy. I mean, that's that's such like, that's huge. I mean, that's huge because um, I I agreed to take chances mm. with myself and was like, you're gonna have to agree to take chances on this record in terms of tempo. You know, if you're going to rap about depression, it needs to feel like that even before you get on the song. So for me, it just when I was going through, I was going through time just moved so slow and labored and heavy. And, you know, even like you said, from the intro of the show, from the intro of the album, for you to start that way in hip hop is risk taking because. Traditionally, you start off like, let me show you and remind you why. Yeah,
0: I'm nice. Here's the story of me and my career, and this is how ill I can rhyme. And yeah,
2: mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, you got to forego all that pretentiousness and lock into what these things feel like, and what does it feel like, and ask yourself these questions, and then now I'm examining... What my emotions were during that period. So I was like, this album has to reflect that. So I wasn't sure how it would be received on that side. Uh, you know, so that's that's just a blessing to hear you say that. It means a lot, you know?
0: Well, I mean, there, there are classics, there are like undeniable classic songs on all of the other. And I love all the records, but, you know, there are so many classic joints. But in terms of like an overall body of work, I don't know that we've ever seen one of the true great lyricists, and I mean the the other names that we that would be in the same conversation with yours. I can't. I'm. I'm I struggle to think of any of our greats being vulnerable in that specific way, especially that like this conversation around mental health and therapy and things like that. Has become more and more popular. Like it's it's like really gaining momentum. Mm-hmm. But this is a good like eight years before that was even a conversation at all. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For you to you know really talk so openly about the struggles that you had. Um, it sounds like I've heard you talk about like depression related to a certain medication that you were taking at a certain time. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like you have these joints like the first one on there. That's a story of a real man that lost his job and went back to Times Square and shot it up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so you rhyme from his perspective. And you also, Mm -hmm. on the new record, you rhyme from the perspective of a racist.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And the like deep spiritual human empathy that you bring to all of those, because you're not doing those in ways that demoralize those people. You're not dehumanizing those people. Even the bullet, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're mm-hmm. basically saying like, okay, what I take from that is like, okay, this bullet may have struck somebody you love. It might have struck John F. Kennedy. It might have struck, but this bullet isn't, isn't making decisions for itself. This bullet makes mm-hmm. no decisions. It just does its job. Mm-hmm. So spiritually, when you're writing something like that, where does your heart have to go to identify in such, like with, with a racist or to identify with someone who loses their, mind, loses their job and loses their mind and shoots up a bunch of people? Like, what do you have to live through in order to produce that?
2: It's heavy, man. Um, you know, like, uh, just, just touching back on PTSD, I, you know, I had to decide, you know, what's compartmentalized that's going to be, that box needs to be opened up and talking about it's emotional, talking about it. It was also therapeutic, again, to speak about it, talk about it, revisit those things. Um, But you got to dig, you know, if you're talking about all the things we talked about lyrically earlier, to speak in a tone that sounds like that wasn't easy. You know, because if you're rapping about, something that's depressing like you're not in this higher positive projective my mouth is open I'm smiling frequency is like you know you're literally curled in this in the session you know you're not kind of broad so you're embodying those feelings again same thing with you know the racist song it's like it's it's insane and you're even giving me more info like even when you uh, personify and get into the personification of these different people, they're all different types of those people and nuances. And, I'm, I, you know, for the last song uh, on the Thirteen album, Races, you know, it took me a while to be like, what is this voice? Is mm-hmm. he angry? Is he creepy? You know, we tried different microphones. Finally, um, uh, we got like this—a podcast mic, a mic that I could get really close up on, and so that you can hear my lisp and uh yes, you know, and my lips parting because I wanted it to feel like, oh, you know, this dude is fucking, you know, get away from me, like it's nasty. You're too close. Nasty. It's supposed to like,
0: be nasty. Yeah, this is
2: gross. Right? Yeah, and um, I finally got the mic. Went to Lee's. And I was like, this is it. He suggested a mic because I was telling him, like, sometimes with the U87s and the higher-end mics, I'm not getting the mistakes and the crispiness that this guy should have. So we recorded at his his house right there, sitting in a chair. And, um, you know, I was able to get those little nuances that I wanted you to feel about this character. But just like acting, it it takes a while to wash that shit off you know and then performing the song is a whole other thing i was like yo why don't we try this since we're a band and we can stop and pause and kick up anywhere and we drop the last verse and i do it a cappella and they're like hitting at certain points and i'm like this is giving me chills like yeah um um you know to 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 start a cappella, and just be like the melody is Palestinian and the flans is spit. That's right. Yeah. And then to be able to have awkward silence before I rhyme again, as well as before the song, I say, you know, as I transform into this character, this personification, as I go there with everything that's going on in this country. If you can relate to what I'm saying and it resonates with you in 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 a particular type of way, then kind of like, fuck you, because it shouldn't. Or, you know, when we get the verbiage, I throw it on the crowd to watch the performance in a certain way, and everybody was kind of like, oh, shit. And there were things you could tell people wanted to respond to, but were kind of like, I don't know if I should be like, woo, or how would that read? And it's just a different energy that we're right. still perfecting because the band's only did with five shows so far. And we're, 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 we're just like so hungry to perform and perfect these things. And I think as as we grow, people are going to love the the old work now as we go into the new work that we're working on.
0: I mean, that one That one particular is like, it particularly, like you said, like what's going on in this country, the day that the, that, that white man shot up the grocery store in Buffalo,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, I was with a group of people from Buffalo, um, some like amazing artists. And, you know, we were performing together and working together. And I went back that night and I just, I kept like, that song was just stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And. You know, I I started to listen to it, and I was like, I can't. Like, it's too, it's too like real. Like, this isn't a, mm. this isn't just an idea. Like, this is it's a, a very... hard song. Yeah. But there's something about the fact that you did the, you did the like the met like the Daniel Day Lewis method acting, like to embody this person in a way that it feels to me like both humanizes them. Because of the fact that you like, we're hearing you step into that mm-hmm. role, but mm-hmm. then also exposing just how, net na- how gross, like what you're saying about the about the your mouth. It's like this is disgusting, man. Mm-hmm. But then also how scared, how like angry, how petty, how. You know, one of the ways that Malcolm was able to convert so many people to the nation of Islam, he was like, it wasn't that hard. I just had to describe the evils of slavery to them. I didn't even have to really sell them on honorable Elijah Muhammad. It's like we, I could just talk so much about what slavery was really like. And people mm-hmm. would be like, mm-hmm. Word, mm-hmm. this is like this is confirming mm-hmm. all of the these like ghost feelings that I that I've inherited from the last several hundred years. And there's something about like your like your willingness, it feels like a real deeply humanizing thing, but also like a really deep generosity for Mm -hmm. you to take on that type of, that type of thing. And then when the album comes to a close, I'm like, this is a magnificent day for an exorcism. Like, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how do you, what do you do to clear, like, how do you sage your spirit after something like that? Yeah.
2: Uh, We talked about that throughout the whole process that I discussed it with myself in terms of like this can't end this way. You know, it it has to end with me, you know, at the time we were doing it, we were so set on touring and then the pandemic hit and I was like there's a way to bring bring the vibration back up live. There's a way to bring the vibration back up in the, in this on the album. I didn't I didn't I didn't want to bring it up like a, a Hollywood film and have some type of false resolve or ending. I wanted it to still feel a little bit uncomfortable. On um, Just going back, like I, uh, I give a lot of credit to Dave Chappelle to, and I'm still uncovering things about the song and how to utilize the song and how to make it art going down to yellow springs to his place and he loves the song he played it like eight times in a row and mm-hmm. i'm I'm saying like this is weird because um if you're driving in your car like you said it's such a vibration it's not you don't drive around to that song or you don't play it when you're taking a bath when you wake, like, you know it's such a song <laughs> that's just like and i'm don't i don't want people to think i'm unaware of vibration so mm-hmm. i'm You know, as I'm finishing the album, I'm like, this is crazy. You just don't drive and be like, let me bump the album. It's not that type of thing, that song in particular. So, Mm -hmm. but what he told me was the value, I'm I'm amazed by the value of this song because I see it on so many levels and this feels like a one-man play. This song feels like has so much room to be seen in so many ways. So now i want to see from you what is this visual going to look like you know what is this live performance going to look like you 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 can make it so wrong that you get canceled and people will be like you cannot perform this song and then you can develop a way to get it to the people you could you could you could do a visual where people are like i got to go see this show to see how they perform this song based on these things so he just threw a whole bunch of elements into the creative side which uh, I knew was there but he's such a he's such a genius yeah and how he's able to articulate things
0: man artists really need each other like human beings need each other like it's very like just difficult being a human being and so we need each other to like help make it through whether it's like therapy or a spiritual practice or just people share like really being real with each other. Mm-hmm. But man, artists really need each other. And like me and you have done like, <laughs> like there's been times that I've hit you and I'm just like, Hey man, I, I need an artist uh, therapy session. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. I don't know if there's anyone better at that than Dave. And that's one of the things that I i don't think that you know, they say that like for a tree, all of these amazing branches you see in the sky, mm-hmm. the reality is that under the ground, the roots are doing that same thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And okay. I think what that is with Dave is like for all of the amazing things that he's done and people have their feelings about the the last few things that he's done. And I respect those feelings. And, and you know, and Dave has not asked anybody to speak for him or defend mm-hmm. him or anything. Just let it be what it is. But I think the the part that people don't, that not everybody gets to see about him is the way that he's able to encourage, understand, um, validate artists and like what it is that we're experiencing. And I don't think anybody articulates it the way that he does. And that thing that he was doing in Yellow Springs was like, everybody that came through there is like, man, he really is almost like a like a big brother or almost like a father to so many people, even Mm -hmm. people that he came up with that are his friends. Like Mm -hmm. it's obvious that Mm -hmm. it just enters spiritually the way that he's feeding um, artists. And it, it does not matter to him how big or small you are. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it, like, like literally it could be like Justin Bieber and me in the Mm -hmm. same room. And it's like, we're all artists here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Uh To him, like there's no like where you are in terms of your fame or success is not what we're talking about at this moment.
2: Yeah, I was on the phone with Black Thought and we were talking the same thing and he said a simple short sentence. And he said all we got is each other. Like all we got is us and it just hit me mm. in the heart again like like you know, yourself and 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 the brilliant artists that I call friends and I just was emotional about it because it's a beautiful thing to grow in this industry and in the elder statesmanship and to realize <sighs> getting emotional like you can really call somebody and be like yo man like i need you on this song like yo man like i'm going through this like it's just a beautiful thing to know that brother ali and thought is a phone call away and you can reach out and get some real poignant heartfelt uh information and 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 con- you know consoling that's what we need to be like we need each other you know
0: and just knowing that you're not alone is mm-hmm. enough you don't even need an answer it's not like somebody's going to give you the answer mm-hmm. you know what i mean but just that somebody is like yeah mm-hmm. you're not crazy like what you're feeling mm-hmm. i feel that too mm-hmm. and you're not you th- there's nothing wrong with you and just yes, just va- just yeah, validation yeah, yeah, yeah. on that level yeah. that like what you're experiencing, that's what we experience. I remember, you know, there there was somebody that um, you know, I was one of their favorite artists, and uh, I knew that when they were coming up, and then a lot of what they did was based on me, and they ended up winning Grammys and things like that. Yeah. And I, you know, I just had a feeling about it. I'm like, man, you know, the, I could talk for for hours about all of the connections between me and this artist and stuff, mm-hmm. and. I was just feeling so low about it, and I, I happened to be with Chuck T. <laughs> and Chuck knew exactly the right thing to say to me. Mm-hmm. He was just like, "Hey, man, congratulations! Uh, a white boy stole your shit and won a Grammy, and never mentioned you. It's the blackest thing about you. You're welcome. <laughs> welcome to the family." <laughs> and it's just like, man, the ability to like validate what I was experiencing, mm-hmm. and also make me laugh and make me feel, you know. It's it's really like, man, what the artists do yeah. for the world and what we do for each other, you know.
2: It's, it's a lesson man, it's, it's just an honor. So many lessons in that an, an elder statesman like that has seen more than we have seen. So it's your job innately, like earthwise to to reach back in that way and and be that voice. Like what else what else are we doing right now is as grown ass men, if we're not just striving to be great and striving to give back, you know, what's the purpose?
0: Is it okay to talk about C?
2: Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to shout out Dave again because on a the, on the racist joint, mm-hmm. when I met him,
1: mm-hmm.
2: when I was there, I should say, um, I was like, I almost wasn't going to do this song because I had it locked. And then he put out Unapologetic. And I was just like, uh, you know, the things he was saying in that was so raw and offensive. I was like, that's how I wanted the vibe to this song to be. And he, you know, he just was like, no, 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 this is different, you know. So that was some cool Man, moments. Dave, yeah. Dave
0: has the ability more than any other public figure. It used to be Muhammad Ali and now it's Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. But like the amount of times that I cry uncontrollably related to him. Mm-hmm. You know, like when he says, man, in that joint, when he says they accuse me of smoking crack, like I know what that did to him,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know what I mean? The, mm-hmm. Just the fact that he would say to the, entertain, the to the industry, like, man, I have danced through lasers my entire life to tell the truth mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, like you think about all of his jokes about, about race, gun store, gun store, liquor store, where are you taking me? Mm-hmm. You know, without saying or saying like, I want that purple stuff. Mm-hmm. He's not like giving a lecture about food right. deserts. But, like, he's learned how to dance through lasers to tell all of the truth that he wants to expose Mm -hmm. in a way that makes even the most, like, don't care about anybody white dudes laugh Mm -hmm. and consider and think. And, like, for him to go through all of that and then somebody dangles some money in front of him and walks away from it and they accuse him of smoking crack, I mean, some people say that's why he got buff. Mm -hmm. Then he's like, man, I'm going to get big and strong so that these, because these people are saying I'm smoking crack, you know what I mean? And, um... When he says they accused me of smoking crack, he was like, "I didn't even drink beer at that time because I was a devout Muslim."
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's deep.
0: And he says, "I do now because you ruined my fucking life." <laughs> it's like hilarious, and it's also like, yeah. man.
2: It's, it's 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 rough. Yeah.
0: And that's why I say like that particular struggle is like, I know a lot of them, I'm saying like Jay-Z shouted you out on his first record, Crime Organized, like the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Like we we thought that was about you and Poe. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin Beecham, the great uh, hip hop historian from Chicago asked him, back in those days, was like, you about you talking about Organized Confusion, Pharaoh Munch. He's like, yeah, Pharaoh's the best. And then, I mean, Eminem gave it to you, like really on Rap God, you know, and, and I mean, that's one of the things about Eminem is like, you can see that there are people that are learning from history, like Eminem as a person that really is exposed to the culture, obviously grew in the culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, man, they gave him his first Grammy and he stood up there and read a list. He's like, I know that white America thinks I'm the first person to ever do this like syllable rap thing. Mm-hmm. So let me read a list of all these names.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I'm saying? Cool G Rap and like, in mm-hmm. Rap God, he mentioned, he shouted out La Kim Shabazz, like mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. It and
0: is
2: it, the, also that, the... it is that deep. You know, like, Lakim Shabazz did a lot for me in those songs and his tone. Like, it is like a family of a of Marvel universe. Like, you know, I took, you know, from Lakim Shabazz. Like, um, I take from Eminem. Like, that is our duty to elevate. The art form, that was the beginning of it. It's like, I'll just use me prints and O C, you know. We get together and O would be like, I wrote something new, I wanna see what y'all think. And I would be sitting there like, I need to rethink my life,
1: <laughs>
2: get it together, and come back to the table and be like, I wrote something new. I wanna see what y'all think, you know, <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing. I mean, that's how I came up in it, like pulling from everywhere you could possibly pull from to write. And I mean, that takes us back to Paul C., you know?
1: Yeah,
0: please. Yeah. To me, Paul C., like I'll tell you, like I have these observations of my friends. Part of why I love doing this podcast is because like people like yourself that I know and love and that, you know, that I'm, I'm a fan before I met you and then we become brothers. And, but I have these observations that in a regular friendship, you don't really get the opportunity to say, this is the way that I understand this thing about you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in this format, like it gives me the, the opportunity to do that. So I, I'm, I'm interested to hear if if you could share about Paul C. And then, because there's something, there's an observation that I have that I want to I want to see where w- what you think about it.
2: I mean, it's just a bunch of elements. He he was a friend. You know, he became a friend, which, which was the most impactful. He understood the things about being a creative that we just didn't know yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, in between time, in between working so hard on music, you know, he understood processes about having fun. You know, we would go to the movies, we would get popcorn, we would do other stuff. And the process of, coming back there and then putting your all into something.
0: So, I mean, just for people that don't know Paul C., so like you're from Jamaica, Queens, which is like where many of the greatest rappers of all time come from.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But so Paul C. is a little older than you. Mm-hmm. And was he the first person that was legitimately in the game that you really had access to and, and worked with like that?
2: Yeah. Um, uh, aside from like all the musicians that were from Queens. Um, and going to those studios and seeing those cats early on, like, um, um, Donald Blackman and, uh, Kevin Osborne and, uh, all of the Queens, uh, musicians from that Jamaica funk era of music. Dope. Crazy. There, There was a studio called 1212 that was on Jamaica Avenue that everybody used to go to. We were coming off of, uh an independent situation just like recording situation and me and Prince Paul were finally working on the demo that we had practiced so hard to work on and finally we we were like we're getting our voices and we want to do this and so we went to this famous studio to work on our demo and um Paul C., we were working with him, came into the room to get some cords and some wires. And He literally didn't pay us no attention. He just got some wires and some cords. And he was like, sorry, pardon me. You know, my bad. And he walked out.
0: Because <laughs> he's working with like Super lever yeah. C., Almighty yes. RSO. I, yeah. I heard an interview with him where he was saying that LL bit. He like, feel like I LL
2: bit some of his
0: style. <laughs> like, he he was in the game. He was doing
2: it. It's hey, a,
0: white dude, a white guy.
2: Yeah, Paul was white. And um the next day, I don't know how he must have asked the other engineer. He got our phone number, my phone number and he called and was like, yo, this is Paul C from 1212. And that was the first time. It's been a couple of times. I had a reactional to a phone call, asthma reaction. And I'm like, Paul C is like, yeah, Paul C. I'm like <clears throat> Oh shit. He was like, yo, I heard y'all stuff, you know, coming in and out of the room. Y'all are dope, man. I would like to work with y'all. And it was just like, the heavens opened up, man. There is a God. You know what I mean? Like, we wanted to work with him. I mean, like, and like, in this time, who's iller than Ultramagnetic and Super Lover You know, mm-hmm. they're on the radio. Cool Keith is cool Keith. Like, you know, it's just like, right. man. We're gonna have a chance to work with this dude. You know, around this time, I'm promising my parents that we could get a professional contract. My parents is like, you got 365 days to make this a legitimate thing or go off to college. And Paul C's phone call was like, yes, we could do this. We're on our way to becoming a professional. And so when we went to work with him, it was just like this, uh, you know, I'm literally like, I paused this beat up. This is what we were going to rap to the demo funky for you and and all the stuff that's on our original demo. And, you know, that's the level we were, we we didn't have any equipment. We would just go into the studio to do it, but we had pause tapes. And so when we did it, got with him, he made some of the beats and took some of the ideas and, hooked him up in the SP and we went to record. He was the first one, you know, to tell me and we were getting a little reputation. He was the first one to tell me, you know, these are too many bars, there's no song structure. You know, I'm an MC MC, like I'm that guy who's like, what, too many bars? Like, what do you mean? Like we're at that stage. There's never
0: too many bars, impossible.
2: (laughs) You know, go home, you know, and study, and count, and who's your favorite? What's your favorite album? Takes a nation to millions, you know, whatever. He was like, go listen to that album and listen to where Chuck starts and st- stops, and count, and, you know, you gotta arrange these records. And he was the first one to kinda like, I, I was starting to be like, I'm Pharaoh Monts, like, and that was the first time somebody was like, go study, you know, I'm like, so we did, and, came back and got it together and the demo was done and the demo got to Bobito at Def Jams and all of that. But, you know, to to have us know that he was gonna produce our whole album. Def Jams was digging the they did they wasn't at first, but then we spoke to Russell and we just had offers from this demo. And then, you know, his his death was tragic and that he was murdered. It was probably the first point in my life where that trauma, I just didn't know how to process it. You get a phone call from a detective. You know, we didn't have cell phones. I'm home. My parents, and it's like, this is Detective such and such. You were on Paul C's answering machine, the last call. And so do you know? And I'm like, so what? You know, I'm. Mean, this is how I'm finding out. He was killed. He was murdered last night, and it's just like, you know, shock response. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what are you saying? Like, I, I can't accept that. That was my first experience with somebody I know and love being murdered, and it's hard to talk about because I definitely just shut down. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I shut down for so many reasons, uh, from a friend perspective and a why perspective, and like, like God, why would you take away our chance to do this? Why would you take away my friend? Like I don't un- I don't understand what's happening right now. And that was the first time, you know, amongst many of the organized confusion adversity in which. But we're about to be in Source Magazine for Rhymes on a Demo. And uh, we're just like, what did we do now? Like, we don't know how to produce. Like, it's over. Your dream is over. So it's hard meeting large professors, understanding that the tutelage was there and what became of that is just his importance to hip hop. His unsung and his, his his attention to truncation and programming with what he had at his disposal. He was also a drummer, which now, you know, I look back and I'm just like, this is why he had the, the, the mind to be like, these drums could have swing and feel a certain way because they're stiff the way they're being programmed up to this. Up to this point. And I just feel he's responsible for a lot of the trajectory, especially coming out of Queens, that hip hop took. It's a tough, but <clears throat> it's therapeutic to talk about it, you know?
0: And didn't the detectives start accusing and suspecting the artist that he was working with? Like, I, I yeah. feel like I heard a story about Poe went to his crib and they treated they treated him like a suspect and
1: yeah
2: it was it was wild for young men to experience that and i mean in the hood at the time you know we're from south side you get it you get it you know what i mean like it is an era of people getting shot and you're like they should have ran you you should have peeped the whole situation at the park gym, you know i was you know, I hit the hole in the gate and was out, so I didn't get you know, the weight mm-hmm. of it. But as you understand uh, therapy and psychology a little more, it's just like, you're not supposed, it's not normal to That's right. um, process and just hold on to and accept the level of mentality uh, dealing with, uh, you know, the violence that we had to deal with back then and so as young men and it just kept going to the point where it's so much you're like people get shot man what are you gonna do just don't get shot then it's like what like you sound crazy
0: and it's like there's parts of you that's like trying to reconcile that you know and then also needing to move on it's like okay Mm -hmm. but i got this thing happening and i got people that need me and i Mm -hmm. have to still You know, and so certain parts of you start to close down, and that's what I'm saying. Like not only the racist song, or not only the song about the guy losing it on the, you know, like I think about, you know, the 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 Times Square song, Mm -hmm. and it's like this is a person that you're relating to who had a nine to five job, who who might have thought like, man man, I wish I could be a rapper instead, Mm -hmm. you know, but like you lose your job and one day you're providing for your family. Everything is good. The next day you're just not. And nobody's giving you an explanation. You felt like you helped build the company, whatever. And these are the same types of things that we experience. Like we're experiencing something very similar or like hearing you rhyme from the perspective of a bullet. It just has a whole other meaning Mm -hmm. when people that you love have been killed in that way.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's tragic, and, and, you know, I think we are finally getting to the point where we're dealing with our trauma in a more informed and educated way, you know?
0: So when you do those things on a record, though, and you open up that space in yourself to allow yourself to sit in that stuff, because one of the things they do, like, I'm, I'm in therapy, and one of the things they do with trauma is, like, they bring you to your traumatic moments once you trust your therapist. And they invite you to like the outskirts of your trauma to go back there in your mind for a second. But now you're seeing yourself. I was 14 when that happened, but now I'm 45 years old. And so I can like look at myself and what does that kid look like that's experiencing that? What do you want to say to him? You Mm -hmm. know, these, and they, they just bring you there for a second and then they bring you back out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're going to just do this in, in little pieces that you can actually you can live through a little exposure mm-hmm. and then we, we increase it. We'll go a little deeper. We go a little deeper, but that's what, that's what this music does. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what, so for you talking about like what it's like for you to be in those moments or even uh, the way that you're able to empathize with, with people in those moments, it gives you as a right. But then also the rest of us listening to the music, it gives us an opportunity to sit in in that type of environment, without it feeling dangerous, like it's therapeutic for the listener as well, you know.
2: Exactly, that's a that's an insane, uh, amazing perspective. But that's what I'm hoping to do. Like, uh, I'm a I'm a would be director and movie producer in my mind, and I'm I'm hoping to give you like three minutes of a film that you could watch again and experience it. That level of pain or joy, without actually having to experience it, like you said, and and, and I, I I think highly of that. So it takes me time to edit these films and produce them and get them right to go into the theaters.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not like the yeah. There's certain directors knock out a movie every year, mm-hmm. and then there's other ones that's like, man, you might get one of these joints every ten years.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and honored and grateful to be brought to you this week by Iman, the Inner City Muslim Action Network, which is my favorite grassroots, real organization in America. Um, Iman was started by Dr. Rami Neshashibi, who is a Palestinian-American brother who grew up on the south side of Chicago and continues to live there with his amazing family, his incredible kids, and his amazing wife. Uh, Iman operates on the south side of Chicago and also in Atlanta, but they do stuff all over the country and around the world. Iman is based on the idea that their work as the inner city Muslim action network should be spiritually grounded, that the work should be culturally relevant and should be socially aware. And they bring together people that have all of these amazing gifts, much like the Travelers podcast. It's a very similar ethos. We come from the same approach that the spiritual masters and practitioners and the artists and the thought leaders and the activists and the organizers and the educators and the aunties and the grandparents and the children and the spokespeople and the critics and the you know dancers and the all of these people need each other that we're in the same work The the academics are not separate from the artists and they're not separate from the spiritual masters. All of us are in this work together. All of us share this common vision that a human being is priceless and that a human being should be treated with respect and that working together we can actually we are stronger as long as we're spiritually rooted, as long as we're culturally relevant, as long as we're socially conscious, that our connections are actually stronger than any force that exists in the world. And we've seen this over and over and over on the south side of Chicago and in Atlanta, some of the cities that are, that are the most challenged uh, by systems of generational poverty and violence and, you know, uh, drug infestation, all of this stuff. And you see Iman do these amazing projects all over the world, bringing these different people together for healing spaces, bringing people together for, for cultural events, bringing people together to do incredible work that really actually impacts lives. One of the things I've seen at Iman that I just love is their green reentry program, where you, when folks come home from being incarcerated, they're automatically ushered into a space where they can learn uh, carpentry, learn plumbing learn electricity learn roofing and they do it all in a way that's uh, that's environmentally sound that's why they call it the green reentry. also green is symbolic of the religion of islam and of the prophet muhammad peace be upon him and our love for nature um but just they're ushered into this situation where folks are trained and then train one another in these trades so that they can become tradespeople, so that they can become contractors, so that they can create their own businesses. But Iman has taken over entire city blocks on the south side of Chicago. It's this neighborhood that's famous for all of this bad news. And they together rehab homes, and then the, the people in the program can buy the homes. And so you have city blocks of homes that have been renovated by the people that are living there that are formerly incarcerated that society threw away and now they become part of the, the 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 solution part of the healing and I've seen this over and over and over again with these with these pillars and these mountains of individuals anybody that's done prison work like I have or just had people go away to prison you know that there are beautiful people in there and sometimes what led them there is is their willingness to take risks to try to make things happen, you know what I'm saying? And because of lack of of access to, you know, healthy and quote-unquote legit ways to do that, sometimes people end up incarcerated. But these aren't horrible human beings. They're not monsters. Like, these are people that were trying to make something happen for themselves, for their families, for their communities. And so you just see that reality come to life. You know, it's like, you know, we we all know the story of people like Malcolm X that went into prison and got the opportunity to learn and to grow, this is like an entire community of of Malcolm X's. And not every single one is a spokesperson, but Iman is celebrating their 25th year. And I also personally, a lot of the things, if you enjoy my art, if you enjoy this podcast, so much of this this worldview that I have has been um, encouraged and fostered. And, and developed and assisted and aided and inspired by Iman. Um, you know, my album is 10 years old now called Morning in America, Dreaming in Color. And the and there's a photograph on the front taken by the great Jonathan Mannion, a uh, really well-known hip-hop uh, photographer. He's actually took this photo of me making the salat, the Muslim prayer, on the American flag. And all of those are ideas that came to me when I was an artist retreat in Iman. Because they told me, draw a picture of yourself that represents all of your different identities. And so and 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 you know, I put them in different orders. So it was like me as a Muslim, me as an MC, me as a and then, you know, and I said, and I also am uh I am part of America for better and for worse. You know, and so I put that flag down there with me making Salad and doing the prayer and all this stuff. Also the name, I was talking it out, you know, with this group of artists, with Amir Suleiman and Maimouna Youssef and all these incredible, Kadir Latif, Andrea Dinur, and all these people that were sitting there talking this stuff through. And I'm like, I don't know if my thing should be mourning in America because of how dark things are or dreaming in color because of of this hope that I have. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, why not both? I said, all right, cool. So I got the name of my album. You know what I'm saying? Uh, head to Iman Central on social media and follow their work. Find ways to contribute. Find ways to get down with that. Um, I just can't say enough about Iman. We're so very grateful to be partnered with them, associated with them, sponsored by them, and helping them to celebrate 25 years of incredible work in the community. I've been an independent artist for over 20 years, and this podcast is independent, all the things that we do, it's really important that we are able to maintain the freedom and autonomy to say what we want, to focus on what we want, to be able to work with the people and have the guests that we really believe in and are happy to bring to you. And so much of that is based on the fact that we're not beholden to any big corporations. What comes along with that, though, is that we don't have the marketing budget to put everything in front of people's face all the time. Even if you follow me on social media, you're probably not going to see the majority of the stuff that we post because blah, 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 algorithm, whatever. The truth is that unless we spend a thousand dollars on all of our posts, then the half million people that follow us on social media just aren't even going to see what we're doing. So in order for us to be independent and to be able to connect directly with you, we're asking you to go to the website, brotherali.com. When you get there, there's you know, my bio and all the sorts of information about the stuff I've done. All my whole catalog is there. You can read write-ups about all the projects that have that I've released over the years. Uh, you can see video clips and interviews and all that stuff. But the two things I want you to focus on for this one, oh, also all of our merch is there, our tour dates are there. I'm headed out right now on the East Coast leg of the Travelers Tour. Those shows are doing really well. Uh, A few of the shows have already sold out. So if you go to brotherali.com slash events, you'll see all of that. Uh, If you go to our merch store, you'll see all of the merchandise that we have. But the two main things that I want you to know about are, number one, if you go to brotherali.com, you'll be prompted to sign the mailing list. Do that. Because I don't sell your information. I don't spam you. I send only a handful of emails every year, and it's only when there are things that I'm really excited about that I want to make sure you know about. So tour dates and new releases, um, new podcast episodes, things like that. I really want to make sure that I'm able to connect with you directly, so hit that mailing list. Also, if you go to the section called Join, we have a caravan there where people can choose to support this podcast, support the work that we do at Travelers Media, learning series, and all sorts of things that we do. You can support all that stuff and also connect with me and with us in really unique ways. It's something very similar to a Patreon, but it's a different platform that we use that suits our needs better. But Head to BrotherAli.com and go to the section called Join. Check out the different tiers, the different ways to connect. I do an Ask Me Anything episode where people really grill me. People ask me really serious questions. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, you speak truth to power. What does it mean to you that you're building your career based on, from stolen land in America? You know, people ask me questions about all sorts of things that I've said and done over the years. And there's some really enlightening stuff that happens in there. The top tier of the uh, caravan is called the Trailblazers. And in that one, we actually have a Slack channel where we've got a community of people that are bonding and sharing life together. And we record voice notes for each other. We do uh, monthly Zoom calls where we hang out literally for hours. Like we literally will spend a, Sunday, a Saturday or a Sunday together. And we got all these people from different walks of life that wouldn't know each other if it wasn't for this particular uh, opportunity. So go to BrotherAli.com, sign the mailing list, get down with the caravan, and thank you for your support. Being your fan and then becoming your friend, the struggle is always like with the people that we love the most. Like, how come the world doesn't see them the way that we see them? Mm -hmm. So, the things that people I mean, I have nothing but respect for Eminem. The things that most people say about Eminem, I'm like, that's dope. I wish these people knew Pharaoh because so much of what they're saying Mm -hmm. to me is just, it, Mm -hmm. it, it, it resonates with me much more. And, you know, but so many of our greats never do that. Like, they never actually produce that thing that can be um, experienced by the masses. Mm -hmm. But you have. Mm -hmm. You did learn how to do that, and you've done that successfully. And when I think about Paul C. being the guy that's like, okay, yes, you can rap. No question. In order for people to digest and appreciate your rhyming, you got to figure out the right 16 bars so that you give them the right amount that they can take in and then give them a hook or a break so that they can pr- process what you just said mm-hmm. cuz you could be dope all day but you have to g- give it to people in a way that they can actually digest it kind of like sitting with trauma in little in little increments mm-hmm. and so the person that teaches you that and as you're learning that gets taken away from you so tragically and then when i think about moments like simon says mm-hmm. you produce your own hit record mm-hmm. You make the beat, you produce the record, you come up with the flow that you've got the sing-alongable mm-hmm. parts of the joy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you create a record and it actually works. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's unequivocal. It's like doesn't have to be categorized. Like they're they playing Simon says at the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like at at a at an NBA game, at a you know, it's like undeniable. You know, for an artist to be able to create one of those. Is such a miracle yeah. to be able to create it. And then to have something like that where like our most renowned underground, you know, John Coltrane mixed with Farrakhan guy, you know what I'm saying, gets <laughs> one of those. And then to see the fact that like like the way that you were just persecuted for I mean, is it just that Raucus didn't clear the sample? Like
2: pretty much. Um, I mean, I was just telling this story the other day, uh, uh, my 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 best friend, Ty Stick, who was that DJ in the basement that was training me and Prince, our first DJ who, you know, had two turntables, direct drive belt, wasn't even techniques at the time, and we're recording the tape. The guy who told us, I think you guys are ready. These, these tapes are getting really good. I think you guys are ready. You're sounding just as good as anybody on the radio. That guy went to Tower Records, bought some music, called me up and was like, yo, I got a gang of soul stuff, a gang of, um, you know, new music, some rock stuff. I think you want to come down. I, you know, I got some uh, monster movie shit that's incredible. And um, it's got all the stuff we used to watch after school, for the after school specials, King Kong, Godzilla. And I was like, all right, I'm going to come down. Came down, we're just chilling talking, eating some food, playing music and the shit plays and I'm just I already just stared into space like God I already know what this is mm-hmm. CD down back to my house throw it in make the beat and I'm just sitting there like I already know what this is. I haven't even written a song yet. Listen to the beat for a couple of days and I'm like Saying to myself, you have to tell people what to do with this record. And as much as the record leaned club, the same type of thought process went into it. Like the character of that guy on that song, I was watching a lot of mob films and Italian films. So the voice is kind of like, get the fuck, it's not even technical, pharaoh voice. So I get into character. On even that record, and it's like get the fuck up, get the fuck up, like what? It's like nah, see, right? And and what, what, what can you say that people have to do what you say? And then the Simon thing came to my mind. You know, I'm like, are you just, or even back then, I'm like, are you so old that people won't remember? You know, Simon says do this. Simon didn't say do that. You know, how corny is that? How old is that? And then I'm thinking of ghosts and. Ghostface used these, you know, a lot of old cartoon references. I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. We'll go with Simon Says. I started writing a chorus, and then the chorus got wordy. And then it's like, you know, New York City gritty. I'm like, nah. You know, at the time, if you think about the context, it's like choruses were more repetitive. Holla, holla, da-da-da-da-da-da. Nah, if you want this to really impact in the clubs, because mind you, I'm going to the tunnel at the time, and I'm that dude as well, and I'm like, you know what, nah, I think this is impactful enough to put your emotion on this talk, to say something about titties, which will get a response from people who know you. It's like, because like, they're going to say, what? what is your response to that emotion? And be like, yeah, I said it. You know, I'm thinking all of this out in terms of the chorus. I finally get the chorus done, first verse done, I'm playing it for my friends. My friends are like, it's too complicated. It's still too complicated. I'm like, nah, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I think Get the Fuck Up is enough simple instructions to balance out the rest of this long-ass chorus that's not repetitive. Um, So, you know, that was all thought about. And then, you know, rhyme-wise, obviously, I'm like, you know, I want to say rhymes that that people will look in the mirror and say them themselves, like I used to do it with with L. Like, on I'm bad. Like, I wanna, mm-hmm. I wanna be that dude. I wanna write that this song that way, not something you listen to, but something you say in the mirror. Those are my instructions to myself. We finished the record, and it seemed very we intentional just- to
0: make sure your name is in there. Y'all know the name, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. exactly. You know, we bring the song in and the label goes crazy. Headquarters, who Premier always famously mentions was working at Ruckus at the time, and he just dapped me up. He was so excited. He was like, yo, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is just crazy. And so it went on, whatever. But I bring them. Sample information, and they're still in. We're we're towards the middle and end of the record. We're still in a situation where it's like, ah, do we need to clear this too? Maybe, yeah, we need to clear it. Need to clear it, and it's kind of like, isn't this going to go under the radar? I guess their thinking is, and you know, a couple of things in context transpired, which was, I'm still working on the album. When I delivered that song. So it wasn't supposed to hit when it hit. Buster comes to the studio to jump on the next shit. And my manager's like, You gotta play him, Simon Says. And I'm like, It's not mixed, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll play it for him. And he's like, No, play it for him. And I play Buster the song, and he's like, What the fuck? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He was like, got to give me a copy right now. I'm like, yo, it's not mixed. You know, it's not this. We only have the dat. And he was like, I need a copy right now. So I look at Bust and I'm like, like, what are you going to do with it? Like, he was like, it's Busta Rhymes, bro. And I give him a copy of the dat. He calls me about two hours later. He was like, I'm on my way to Hot 97 right now. He hand delivers the record to Flex. Flex calls me in, in the morning, nine o'clock the next morning. I pick up the phone. This is Funk Master Flex. Who the fuck is this? Why the fuck you calling my phone? It's Funk Master Flex. This is my second asthma attack phone call moment. Mm. He's like, yo, I hope you're ready. I'm like, don't say it. He was like, listen to the show tonight. I hope you're ready for this because it, it's about to go down. I'm like, fuck, yes, no, wait, we're not ready. I call the label and everybody at the label. I'm like, um, I think leak <laughs> the record to late. And that shit was just so impactful that we're now trying to play catch up, you know, whatever. And they knew that the record would explode and be hot but they didn't know that early in that the impact that Flex had breaking that record at the time would have on the country, on the scene. New York still had a place to break records physically. He then took the record to the tunnel. He then was like, when I play this record! (laughs) New York City, (laughs) when I tell you I got
0: a
1: joint here.
2: So uh, as it got mixed and we caught up, it got added to 95% of the radio stations across the country that played hip hop. And we're still, we're trying to catch up to the record. Like at that point, Puff is walking out at Madison Square Garden to the song. Like people are like, I don't even know whose song this is. Like we're trying to get my face on the song. Everybody who's a fan of organizers, like, bro, yeah. like they know. They're trying to connect the two, and we're still trying to catch up to the song. Like, that's how the shit took off. In the meantime, the business wasn't being taken care of, unbeknownst to me. So, that's that little tidbit right there.
0: And so, I mean, the aftermath of that. So, I mean, you make a legitimate hit record, like, you do it. Like, you do the thing that all the, all the, lyrical super underground conceptual rappers would like to do front like we don't well I don't need to I don't never I don't want to do that anyway. That's for suckers. That's whatever. It's because we don't know how to do it. And then you do it. And then I mean what was it like after the so I mean did the record get shut down? I mean were you not able to I know for a long time it wasn't available. Mm -hmm. Like it felt like it got taken away. It felt like we did, whoever, if you had it, you had it, but it felt like it wasn't accessible. It felt like it got wiped out for a long time. Yeah.
2: Back then there was no digital. So literally when they say it was taken off the shelves, it was taken off the shelves. The distribution of the record had stopped, had to stop. It couldn't be sold. That's everything. The entire sister's like. You can't take it off of the vinyl anymore. You know what I mean? Like the whole project got shut down due to that. And at that point, if you quantify to this day, you know, um my people who work in my digital are still trying to get me a gold and platinum record for that, adding on digital to the actual sales. But if you can quantify what that song has done in streaming, Even though, you know, um, for a while it got pulled down from YouTube, I mean, it's up now because different levels and statutes and things have changed. But, you know, it's unfathomable what the record would have sold if under the same construct and the business of it would have been done properly.
0: I mean not to count your, your money or watch your pockets, but do you do you eat off that song?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the in so many ways because um just BMI and publishing and uh, shows. And they didn't
0: take your they didn't take your publishing, you get you get all your publishing from the record? From when it's sometimes they hit you for a sample, they'll take your publishing too. Right like I like I, I know Atmosphere got hit for a joint where they took I mean mm-hmm. the dude that created the original sample owns Slug's lyrics like
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I still own my lyrics and they they still offered me an opportunity to redo the song with my lyrics just not with the master's usage of the sample on there. I've just chosen so far to not bastardize that record by not trying to recreate it. <laughs> leave it but i i I am working on structuring it again because i still get asked twice a month for licensing for films and all that shit and that's just tons and tons of money that i'm missing out on yeah
0: man i appreciate you i have a million other things i want to ask you about but you've been so generous man with your not only with your time, but also just with yourself. And um, it really means a lot, man. It really means a lot to have looked up to you for so long and just treasured you for so long and then to become your friend and for you to do this sh- podcast and uh, murder me on my own record. And, um,
2: Absolutely. You know what's funny about that verse? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know first, no,
0: I, I disagree. What's hilarious about that situated verse? So that you're doing like a double entendre on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's like black, and like you never know, like, because the whole thing is about black, mm-hmm. and you never know, like, is he talking about black, like, in terms of evil, or is he talking about like black, like, pro-black? Mm-hmm. And so evidence, you know, being evidence made that joint together. And yeah, you're right. Like I just, I thought a four bar spit him. Thought a four bar spit him. And then Ev would cut me off because he's like, man, don't do some little end of the line. Don't do at the end of the verse line where it ties it up all nice. Mm-hmm. His mission on that album was like, all these little nice, cute things you do, we're getting rid of all that. You're not singing any hooks. There's no tear jerking stories about your dead mom or like, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Like You're just going to rap and we're just like, I'm going to make the beats on the spot, <laughs> you're going to rap. So when I was thinking in my last four bars, he would slide over to the keyboard and just be like, nope, done, save, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No last four bars, right. you're done. So so I got to the end of that one and I was like, I was like, okay, I I I think I might have a last four bars. And he's like, no, Pharaoh already has it. And I'm just like, I didn't know what he meant. And he's like, yeah, send it to while you were doing that. Uh you went to the bathroom, I, I bounced it and sent it to Pharaoh. He's gonna rap on it. And I'm like, oh, all right. All right, well, let me, I'm gonna memorize this and then come back and spit He's like, No, you're not. Like it's it's done. You know what I mean? But so like that double entendre thing that you did. Ev was like, either this guy, either this stuff means like some devil stuff, and he's like rapping on his Muslim homie record about the devil, or he's talking about blackness and he's rapping on his albino homie's record about melanin. (laughs) He's like, either way, you're getting stunned on. Like Ev is that dude for me. Like Evidence is like, you know, you talking about like the guy in the studio that's just like, nah.
2: Prem, Prem is that way too about vocals. I remember we did the uh the vocal for OC and I was like oh, I could I could do it better he was like I got it y'all could just like it's good you don't need to do it again trust me I got it and then in, in terms of um I just I just felt like those bars fit culturally um in terms of I want to talk about blackness in a way then I get to it, and then it becomes like what the universe was before everything started, and um like a freestyle type of thing. So
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's mm-hmm. how it, that's how it ends, and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, the whole time it's like floating. And there's a point where you say, came out the womb on Halloween with Affinity for 13 and black cats. Does it get any clearer? And it's like, no, we still don't know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. But then by the time you get to the end, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What existed before the Big Bang, I'm and then it just cuts. Mm-hmm. So ill. Yeah, thanks, man. So
2: ill. It's a dope song, man. It's a dope song. It's a dope project.
0: The um, you know, we're talking about John Coltrane, and so I'm just wondering, you know, so many like great artists usually have like a body of work, but then there's one thing that's almost like synonymous with them. It's like, there's a certain body of work that whether it's, you know, the world puts it on them. So like John Coltrane, people always think love Supreme and and John Coltrane has a million amazing songs mm-hmm. and albums, but people always think love Supreme mm-hmm. and it's fitting. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how he would feel about that, but I would imagine he feels like Jay-Z seems to want everybody to know reasonable doubt. like, mm-hmm all these years later he's like you still don't understand how amazing reasonable doubt is i need to i'm going to rap in now about my rhyming back then. <laughs> but if but if you had one if you if you out of all of the amazing things that you've given us and that that the, the things that are to come if you had something that you wouldn't be mad if the culture looked back and said pharaoh and this particular piece of art that you that you've given the, the culture and the world what would it be?
2: I can't it's hard for me to do that, man. It's like I'm I'm really like I entrusted to grow and fail so much that um you know when I even when I listen to the organized stuff, I know it's a product of an environment, a harsh environment, a loving environment, losing my father, you know, things that it is paint it's a painting, but as an artist, I'm constantly like I have to get that dude as I get older or have a nuance to the new stuff that is beyond comparison to that stuff and age appropriate. And I I really think time matters. Like I had put out desire um, it leaked and the feedback you know online is like what's all this singing what's all this soulful shit what's all these instruments like what the fuck and you know they were looking for internal affairs and i was just like you know i'm glad people wanted the new album so much that it leaked you know people were telling me usually that people usually don't give a shit you know that means people give them and i'm like yeah i'm looking at some of the criticism." And I was on the road in Prague with Dela, Nas, and we were doing Rock the Bells in Europe. And I was on an elevator with them. And, you know, my head was down and we were talking, And you know. Nas was like, these things need to mature. They're not like children, but like that in the aging process. Also, the people at the perspective that are, you know, 21 now that are going to hear this record or, and he just broke it down in such a way that I didn't understand at the time. But then years later, you know, when I asked about these records, they're literally people like, you know, Desire, man. You know, Desire, man, I was on my first date. Da-da-da-da-da. Like I, like um, J. Cole um, did the My Life song over, the My Life chorus, and we were on the phone. And mm-hmm. he's like, I was dating this girl in high school, and we got my first book. You know, uh, hoopty, and I used to take around. We used to listen to my like. You can never change that about those experiences. So to him, like my life might be the greatest thing I ever did because of his environment, his experiences. So, I mean, it's this hard to pick apart. You know, the projects like that. So I hold it in a certain place in my heart in a specific area, mm-hmm. but not over or under anything
0: if that makes any sense. you know the a record like PTSD. so first of all the desire record it's weird like i said i just said ptsd is my favorite record but in terms of like for me to listen to because i always wanted to hear you sing like that Mm -hmm. especially pushing like Mm -hmm. man pushing to me is like that's one of your greatest joints of all time Mm -hmm. because like we got these little glimpses of your singing similar to yasin i remember when yasin did um memories don't live like people Mm -hmm, do mm -hmm. it's like because you you get these little glimpses of Yassine singing Mm -hmm. and it's like man this guy sounds like Gil scott Mm heron or something like mm -hmm. can we just get like some more (laughs) singing and then once he did it it's like "Ah, i knew it it's Mm -hmm. like that there's like a tension that's built and then when it when you finally hear it it's, it's that way and um on oh no you know the first time that we hear you that that was like you cut loose on just that hallelujah that's like man like it's been building to that you know what i mean it's like a climax that's bit that we've been building and so when desire came out that type of singing was like is something that that i think we wanted to hear but so ptsd though for me like as an artist like like i have a sense of what it takes to to you know to put something like that into the world and what it does for people and for those of us that are like underground and maybe didn't have hit records we can say that like if i had to trade but so like if i could trade all of the hit records versus the songs that i've written that i know that people tell me like hey i'm here cuz i didn't kill myself because this song made me feel hurt you've so so like that's something that i think but i've never had a hit record mm-hmm. you're somebody that's had both What's your relationship with the songs that you've made that have like really impacted culture and went around the world and got played at the you know I'm saying at the at the Knicks game versus the music that didn't get played at the Knicks like they're never gonna play PTSD at the Knicks game but 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 that type of feeling that like I know you've seen tattoos where people tattoo those words on their body I know that there are people that are like yes this great this great artist made the piece of art that It didn't go number one on the radio, but it made life livable for somebody like me. I thought I was crazy until Pharaoh shared this. What's your relationship with those two types of responses from people?
2: I hold the the latter in in the highest regard and it means everything to me. It's why I do it. It's the redemption. It's, It's the energy. It's, you know, we're receiving, I feel like, we're not in control anyway in receiving these words. And it gives it intent and purpose. It's, it's the job of an artist, it's my job, it's my way to give back in a, in a pretentious way. It's what will remain when we're not here anymore. So it was very important for me to have pieces of stuff that somebody could look to and get inspiration from. Um, it can happen with both things. Like, even with Simon, I'm like, in the moment the song was so um enthusiastic and I gotta get up and get on the dance floor, I gotta get up and do energy. You know, I used to be like, what if that's the moment that the, the, the shy kid dances his first year in college and he he meets his love and because of bam be, bam 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 he was like, I'm a dance to this record, but still he meets his love and they have the child that makes the difference in the revolution of, of all of this, you know, and I, I really look at all of our art as artists, as those things that continuously can do that. So I'm looking at it all the time, but, but my life, you know, was an aspect to where it was the first time I would be in the car and someone would recognize me or be playing the song and talk about that song on a hood level and put their fist to their heart and be like, this shit got me through my bed. This shit got me yes. through this. And that was the first time I was like, whoa, whoa, this is a whole new cultural Black level of thing that I had yet to experience in terms of song and who it impacted. And so, you know, I just hold that there. I remember the guy's face. I hold those moments dear to my heart. The people I spoke to backstage on the PTSD shows that was like, I'm in recovery. Um, Two years clean. I'm, I'm just like, this is crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the only music that they look to, but I've always taken this as a responsibility, hip hop, being let into the culture in terms of, you know, you got a spot in this culture, you got to let the energy know why you deserve to be here always. And you can't take it for granted. So you got to show with art or with lyrics or with something that this is a deserving thing. And I think, That's why some of the people who are cut from that cloth feel a way about generations who don't maybe take a deeper look into what the, what the past has gave us in terms of this platform. But um, those were always things I was building on in terms of, you you can't take this opportunity in this platform for granted. You know what I mean? Like try to move people, try to encourage people, to, to, to in in short, I don't have an answer for that one. I, I, it's hard
1: <laughs> for
2: me, <laughs> you know.
0: And 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 as I was thinking about that, it's like, man, I I don't know any. I don't know any artist that would say that. Maybe with the exception of Jay Z being like, y'all don't understand how reasonable doubt how no reasonable doubt is. <laughs> but man, well you, you know, you're just a treasure, man. You're a living treasure, and. um I, we've gotten so much just from listening to you and um, from your music and, you know, being brothers. I, I did the Shadows in the Sun uh, anniversary tour and we played First Ave and it was sold out. And um, that was, you know, a pretty, pretty like meaningful moment to me. And I got to the show and you were just there chilling. And I kind of was like, oh man, I got to go try to rap my first record in front of Pharaoh. And I I almost had to like, okay, all right. You know what I mean? And um, we got done and my, my wife came. And I think my wife was like super pregnant at the time. Mm-hmm. And she, she told me afterwards, she was like, man, you're up, you know, doing one of the joints. And she said that you looked at her and was like, man, I think I'd be rapping. Look at your husband up there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... Um, just hearing that later on man that because you know what those types of things means yeah. coming from the people that you that you look up to you know and um I love you be on words, man
2: thank you man I appreciate it I love you too man like uh I knew this would be you know therapeutic as well as uh tell some stories that new fans may not know or new heads may not know as well as be interesting and I appreciate it and and that was a great moment, man. I love that photo that we have from backstage. Um,
0: yeah, shout out my man Mike Madison, mm-hmm. who's also a great MC, but he's an amazing photographer. And yeah, just really, I didn't even know he was there.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, just like you know, you you look at me that way, I look at you that way, and was marveling. And she caught me in the moment of marveling, like literally, like I can't do that, like I can't do that, like. That is what this is all you about. stop
0: that right now. <laughs> you know, and my wife is from the Bronx and we met at SOBs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's one thing for a man to say that to another man. It's another thing for a man to say it to another man's wife mm-hmm. and for her to t- like the, the fact mm-hmm. that like you said that to her and then, cause she waited till we got home. Mm-hmm. She was like, you know what I mean? We got home. She was like, yo check out what your man said while you were on stage
2: nah, it's true that's 100% it's like, the truth
0: from my heart I wouldn't you know? if they asked me like do you want a Grammy or do you want that story <laughs> I'm choosing that story Allah is my witness
2: oh that's dope
0: man yeah man well thank you for giving so much brother and um I think I, maybe we'll use that photo as the cover for this episode that's great I'm, I'm glad you brought that that's up
2: that's dope that's dope that's a dope idea yeah
0: Take good care, brother. I love you.
2: appreciate you. Love you, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Peace, peace. All right.
0: Special thanks to Pharaoh Mach for being just so generous with his time and with his thoughts and with his insights. And he just was extremely authentic and real, and he's always that way. But there's something about this connection between artists that... I'm so very grateful for. You see, I, I always get a little emotional, and I, I hadn't planned to tell the story about Pharaoh telling my wife when I was on stage rapping my first album, you know, this album, Shadows on the Sun, that when we made it, nobody knew who I was except for a few people in Minneapolis that attended the open mics and stuff. Nobody knew who I was. I didn't know if anybody would ever hear me, you know? And the day that I'm talking about was the 15 year anniversary of that album. Um, I think it's now been, it's coming up on 20 years actually now, but Pharaoh was at First Avenue, the iconic club in Minneapolis. Um, I didn't know he was going to be at the show and I'm standing up performing my first album and he's there and I'm just so giddy that he's there and you know we're talking and stuff. And then my wife tells me when we got home, when you were on stage, Pharaoh just kept going on and on to me, to my wife, who's a hip hop head, who also loves Pharaoh. Just about just saying some really beautiful things about your brother here. And, you know, that (laughs) it's just like, man, that type of love that people show and showing it in different ways, you know, that like I'm performing this album I made when I didn't know if anybody would ever know who I was. And now Feral Munch, who is one of my hands-down favorites of all time, is watching me perform it, celebrating me, and then telling my wife, just so that when I get to hear it, there's this added layer of my wife saying, man you i wish you could have heard what Pharoah was saying about you when you're on stage stuff just really means a lot so i'm really grateful to share this and it, you know it takes a lot for artists who we have so much access to them um and art, artists have so little privacy that when people open up the way that they do oftentimes on this podcast i'm i'm very very grateful for it it's a gift to us all so much love to Pharoah Monch and much love to his team for helping uh, get everything cracking and getting it all set up. I'm really very, very appreciative. Um, head to com and come see us on tour. We're on our East Coast leg of our tour now. Uh, the two Minneapolis shows are sold out. Some of the other shows are almost sold out. Uh, it's not a long run, but it's one that I've really been looking forward to. We have a VIP uh, where people come in and we basically do Almost an episode of the podcast, but it's a conversation between me and the people that do VIP. You also get an exclusive shirt and a, and a laminate and things like that. You get to come in early. This tour is really dope. The West part of the tour was incredible. I, I'm so happy to be on stage again, so happy to be with people again and performing music again. I'm just in better shape. My voice is in better shape. I'm just, I'm feeling good. You know, was really happy to be back. So I'm I'm really happy to be on this East Coast part of the tour now. So head to brotherally.com, see all of our tour dates, get down with the merch. There's merch for the podcast. Um, you can see all the stuff that we're doing. We have a new 12-inch. Uh, at the time that I'm recording this, it's not out yet, but maybe it's out now. Um, basically a, a maxi single, a whole school maxi single where you get three joints, but three songs. We made uh, only 500 copies of this really beautiful vinyl. Uh, If that hasn't already been announced, you might be hearing a little earlier than most people are hearing it, but that announcement is coming, and um, if you're on brotherali.com, you'll hear about it first, and uh, so if you want to grab one of these very few copies of this 12-inch, you'll be uh, one of the few to have first access to it. Sign up for the caravan, all that good stuff. Much love and special thanks to Mansur Panawala, Amna Mirza. Special thanks to Last Word and to Aida Rashid. Special thanks to Mark from Medina Hip Hop that created the stamp logo that's on the merch for the podcast. Very very grateful. Uh, much love to my man Ant who produced the mute, the song called "The Travelers" and that's the music that we use for the podcast, and he gave us permission to use that. Special thanks to Darian Washington, everybody that's part of this podcast. Special thanks to you. Travelers podcast is produced by Brendan Kelly, aka BK1, from the South Side of Minneapolis. And it's a production of Travelers Media. I
1: love you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.